Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast, a podcast for successful women who feel like they have it all except love. I'm Veronica Grant, your host and a love and life coach. And my only goal with this podcast is to inspire you to believe in yourself and that real love is possible for you, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. You with me? Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to episode 113 of the Love Life Connection. All right, I'm really excited for today's episode. Every couple months, few months, something like that, I always put a request on Instagram for people to send me their questions so that I can answer them in a Q&A episode on the podcast. And that's what today is going to be. So if you want to be able to submit your questions in the future, make sure you follow me at Veronica E. Grant on Instagram, or just make sure you're on my email list, um, because you can always submit questions there. And then I can just add them to the queue. And I like to do these again every two to three months, just to make sure that I'm answering really specific questions that you have so that I can support you as much as I possibly can. And I love the questions today. So I'm super excited to dive right in. And we're going to do that, except I have one little thing to share. Now, I created this checklist um, about... Uh, oh my gosh, like eight or nine months ago. And I haven't really talked too much about it. I lived in a certain place on my website, and I haven't really told you all about it. And I thought you might be interested to download it. And the checklist is called seven things every woman needs to find love. And I love the subtitle. The subtitle is what you need to ask yourself to attract in real love that your friends or therapist don't know to ask. So I love this checklist, because it just goes through seven big areas 
with some questions that I want you to ask yourself. You can journal on them, you can ponder on them, meditate on them, think on them, whatever you want to do. But I think it'll just kind of get your mind turning and thinking in the way that I think it needs to do in order to call in real love and not just a relationship for the sake of a relationship. So I really, really love the checklist. If you don't have it yet, if you haven't downloaded it, then you can do that over at veronicagrant.com forward slash checklist. And I'll put that link in the show notes here on the podcast. So if you just scroll down on your podcast, um, you like if the if the icon for this episode is big, so it's like pulling up the whole episode. And so it takes up the full screen, and you slide down, then it'll eventually get to the show notes, you can just click straight from there. Or you can always go to veronicagrant.com forward slash episode 113 to get to the show notes for this episode. And it'll have the links to the checklist as well as the other things that I'm going to mention on this show. All right, so we've got three questions to get through. So we're going to do that right away. Now, the first question is, I know this is so, so common. So I hope that this will help many of you. The question is, I'm struggling with getting over a guy that had a date with. In my head, I know I like the idea of him, but it wouldn't have worked out in the long term. But I miss talking to him and I'm feeling sad longer than I want to be feeling sad about him. How do I get through this? All right. So here's the thing about getting over an ex. This could be any, again, anywhere from a one-time thing. It sounded like this woman just had one date with this guy all the way to a 20 plus year marriage and everything in between. When it comes to getting over any kind of relationship or old partner, there are two parts to it. You have to get over him and you have to get over the relationship. And they're two different things. And usually getting over him is a lot easier. So for this woman's example, or not example, but question, she says, I'm struggling to get over a guy that she says, she said she had a date with. So I'm going to take that um, word for word and assume she only had one date with this person, but she really liked him and had a lot of hopes for him. So in this case, it's almost impossible that it's about him, right? Like you don't really know the person that well, there's not really much of that emotional attachment there yet. Um, just because you've only had one date. And whether or not it's been just one date for you, or maybe just like a month or two, but like you're really, really holding on to this guy, then it's not really so much about the guy that you have to get over, but it's really more about the relationship. And really getting into what is it about the relationship that was serving you that you're not able to do for yourself. And so what I mean by that is, let's say you outsource your confidence, or you outsource your sense of worth, and you feel more worthy, or you feel more confident when you feel like someone's interested in you, or when you're in a relationship. And so then when that relationship goes, then so does your confidence and your worthiness. And that's really the part that you have to focus on, rather than trying to figure out why you're not over this guy that you didn't know that well in the first place. That just sends you into the cycle because logically you're mad at yourself for not allowing or for not getting over him, but you're not really, you're kind of missing the mark when you're just forcing yourself or trying to get over him or trying to analyze it. Because again, it's not about him. It's more about that what that relationship provided for you that you're not able to provide yourself. So I would definitely look into that. And then I think it's also worth looking at how does this relationship fit into a larger pattern? On a soul level, why did you attract this person into your life? 
How does this relationship remind you of dynamics of past relationships? And how does this relationship and the dynamics uh, specifically remind you of your relationship with your mom and dad or what you saw between the two of them? And there's probably some core wounds there um, that you might want to look into healing because that will just prevent this kind of relationship or disappointment happening um, in the long term or yeah, in the long term. It's more of like a preventative strategy. Um, And The other thing I'll say is I actually did a podcast episode about this maybe about a year ago. It's a quickie episode. So when I used to do quickie episodes, so there's no episode number, um, but it's called when you really can't get over an X. So if you search my name and that when you really with a lot of ease, can't get over an X, um, but I'll also put that link in the show notes. So you can go listen to that too, or just scroll down your podcast player. You might have to scroll for a while because again, I think I did this episode right around a year ago. Um, so listen to that if you're struggling to get over next. I talk about three specific things in there that you might be overlooking and that I think are big mistakes that most women do, or really just most people, I think men do this too, um, when trying to get over an ex. So make sure you check that out. All right. So thank you so much for the woman who submitted this question. And question number two, I'm super excited because a man submitted this question. And I know that 99% of my audience is female. um, But I'm so happy to know that there are some male listeners. And, um, you know, because this because really, like, this is not just stuff that women deal with. And yes, I come obviously from a female perspective, I'm sharing a lot of my own um, perspectives, and then the perspectives I gather from clients and my community. Um, But I'm just really thrilled that um, a man uh, submitted this question. And I think um, it'll I think it'll um, apply to many of you listening. So here's the question. Um, And I did shorten it up a little bit just to make it essentialized. So the question is, I'm on the tail end of a relationship that I ruined. We're broken up, but our best friends in each other's safe place. And I think we both went to work it out and are acknowledging we have a lot of things to work on. There wasn't any cheating, just me drinking a lot and being super jealous. I've never connected with a person like this before, and it's not something I want to give on give up on help. All right. So there's a lot of steps to this. So I'm just going to break it down for you. The first thing is that this simply just requires self-forgiveness. So you said that you ruined the relationship. Um, I would, I mean, you might've made mistakes for sure, but let's just remember that relationships still are two-way streets. Um, So I want you to be easy or have some compassion for yourself. But I also want you to forgive yourself because if you blame yourself or stay angry at yourself, it's only going to cause you to further self-sabotage. And I think we actually unconsciously punish ourselves when we think that something's our fault. Um, And then we just kind of keep ourselves playing out that same cycle because on some level, we don't believe that we deserve something different. So the first thing 100% is self-forgiveness. You've got to do it to be able to move on to the next steps. Now, from this relationship, just for again, this is just from what you shared. And so this is just via, you know, a direct message on Instagram. So obviously, it's without me knowing all of the details. And it's also one side of the story. So I'm just going to go based on what I know. But to me, this sounds a lot like an issue based relationship. And an issue based relationship is when two people's issues is what attracted them to each other. Most common example, I talk about this all the time, is the people pleaser narcissistic 
trap, right? That's episode 94. You can go listen to it if they're like, huh, that sounds interesting. I might be in that kind of trap. Um, That is an issue-based relationship because two people's issues are what magnetizes them together. So, you know, just some things, again, that you're just saying, and I'm just going to speculate here, um, but I think that this will kind of get to it, is when, with you drinking a lot, there might have been some patterns of you not knowing really how to express your feelings and your emotions, especially emotions around frustration and anger. And I imagine that is what brought up some of the jealousy. You would be angry about something. Most humans, at least in America, don't know how to deal with anger. We're just not taught. We're taught that anger is bad, but it's just a human emotion. There's nothing bad about it. Um, It's just that we're not taught how to deal with it. And so we lash out and then we get in trouble, have negative consequences. And then from that, we believe that anger is quote unquote bad. And so then that often results in a lot of um, any kind of abuse, whether it's alcohol abuse, drug abuse, also abusing others, abusing yourself. um, And jealousy can definitely play a role in that. So with all of this said, This to me, the issue base, I mean, it sounds like a codependent relationship and that there were probably some toxic behaviors and coping mechanisms that both of you did. Now, again, I don't know the woman's side of the story or what happened with her or what some of her behaviors were. But to me, this sounds like on some level, you either had issues around anger or issues around like maybe your house growing up wasn't like the safest place and not necessarily meaning that there was violence. I mean, there could have been, but also just meaning like it wasn't really safe to be emotional or to express how you were feeling. Everyone was like emotionally shut down. And so that's kind of caused you to not learn how to deal with it. And then the woman maybe had some sort of um, similar experience where she felt like, or she learned where or she learned that in order to receive love or to um, get attention or approval or whatever it is that she's seeking, she has to act in a certain way um, to to please someone. And then that kind of creates this pattern of I'm going to, you know, I want to be in charge of you because that makes you feel safe because it feels like you have something to control. And then on her end, it's more of like, well, this kind of feels familiar. This kind of feels like growing up in a really strict household or in a household where I really had to, um, act in a certain way in order to get someone's love or approval. So the thing about these types of relationship, and again, this is obviously complete. um, I I don't know you personally, or your, um, I guess it would be your ex-girlfriend. But here's the thing about these types of relationships. When two people's issues have drawn them together, it's really, really hard to work on them while you're still together. This isn't a situation where, you know, couples therapy can be really helpful to work on communication or showing affection or anything like that. This is really a situation where the two of you have some core wounds that you need to work out. And it's what on a soul to soul level attracted you to each other. And by continuing to be together and try to work on these core wounds, it's kind of like trying to tell and telling an alcoholic to go sit in a bar every day, but to not drink. It's just going to be obviously, that environment's going to be very triggering as is um, being in a relationship. And it's not necessarily a relationship with just her, but it's going to be in any kind of relationship while you're really, you know, in the meat of 
healing these, um, these core, these core wounds. So what I would recommend to do is you all, I think it's very clear. And you even said that you're both willing to work through this, um, and that you have things to work on. You know, to me, like I said, this is going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible for both of you to heal this together. So I would probably have some sort of conversation with this woman and come up with some sort of time that you guys are going to spend apart. I recommend six months sounds really good to me. If that sounds totally crazy, I mean, I think three to four months could be fine, but I think six months is really the time when it takes to really get through some patterns. A lot of times with my clients, um, we work together for about four months and after four months, it's like, oh, now we're just getting, you know, now we're just peeling back the layers and we really see what's going on. And so then the next four months or the next three or four months is when you can really then begin to create some real change. So that's why I think six months is a great time. But if that sounds so overwhelming, then start with three to four months and just see where you are. So whatever time frame you guys decide, agree to circle back and see where you are emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I really do recommend that you have no contact and really ideally no dating or relationships at all so that you can really focus on you without being triggered. Okay. And the other thing I will say about this is when you do, you know, if you take this advice and if you do um, decide to take these six months, it can't be for the attachment of wanting to get back together. And that's going to be the hardest part. So you're doing this for you and she's doing this for her. And if it means at some point you all then refind each other, then that's great. And the love gets rekindled and all of that good stuff. That's awesome. That's just like the cherry on top and added bonus, but it can't be the ultimate result or, um, or it can't be the ideal result or the thing that you're doing this for, because you're just not going to be able to get into the right headspace or heart space. And there's going to be a really strong attachment to what you're doing. And when we're attached to anything at any particular outcome, then it's always going to affect what actually, um, what actually happens. And the final thing that I want to say about this is, you know, you said in your question that you're each other's comfort and you experienced a deep connection. And obviously that's a goal in any type of relationship. And that can be really a, um, a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Um, but I would also say because this was coupled with the jealousy and the drinking, and I imagine there was probably some, with that, there was probably some ups and downs, some maybe some intense roller coaster of emotions, maybe not on your part, maybe on her part, or somewhere there were some roller coasters and some up and downs, ups and downs going on. And, and so I would just want to make sure that it's really clear to you that just because you can have this connection with someone and maybe share something that you've never shared before with someone else that doesn't necessarily mean that's love. Again, like this can be part of playing out your patterns from childhood. Because again, like it's not really safe for, you know, something wasn't safe, right? Or something didn't feel emotionally safe, physically safe, something like that. 
with childhood or with your parents and probably something similar for, for her. So in some ways you all found, um, you all found comfort in each other because you were able to be that comfort for each other that they might, that you might have been craving as a child and maybe that she was craving as a child. But because it's not just that constant, it's more of like the emotional ups and downs and the turmoils. I mean, that just shows to me so much that there's something deeper going on here. And I really encourage you to take the time to, um, uh, to explore that. Um, and you might also want to refer back to my episode, episode 111, actually. So two episodes ago, where I share three kinds of relationships that you're confusing with love. And that might also shed some light into the pattern that's going on here and give you some ideas of possible, I don't like the word solutions, but paths to something different, (laughs) to be experiencing something different, something more ideal and better. All right. So that was a long answer. I hope that was helpful. There's obviously a lot of stuff here. So I really do recommend that both you and your ex get some support through this because doing this stuff on your own, you've never done this kind of work before. It can be super intense. Um, So, you know, I mean, therapy can be super helpful, just depending on if there's other stuff going on. Um, Coaching can be super helpful. I don't really coach men. um, But if you want a recommendation, I can certainly provide that for you. And yeah, so let me know or anyone else who can relate to this question. Um, You know, clean up your side of the street. And this is the first time cleaning up your side of the street, make sure you get some support because there can be a lot to uncover. And it's really impossible to see your own blind spots. Okay, all right, moving on to the third and final question. And I love this question so much. So thank you. Thank you to the woman who asked this. All right, she asks, the more feminist I become, the less I believe I'll find a guy. Being a straight woman somehow feels super hard right now. Most men are sexist, and I'm at the point where I don't want to take that anymore. Help. All right. So I love this question, and there's so many different angles to look at this. Obviously, feminine masculine energy comes up for me, and we're going to get there. But the very first place I want to start is just the belief, because I 100% believe and I don't even know if I, I mean, I believe it, but I think it's also just like factually true that our beliefs create our reality. And that might seem kind of woo or like, uh, I don't know, I don't see the connection, Veronica. But when you think about it, you know, if you have this belief that being a straight woman somehow is really hard right now, or that most men are sexist, like if you have that belief, how does that cause you to show up on a certain date? Uh, or on a date, maybe you're a little bit more reserved, or you're kind of on the defensive, or you're assuming the guy is guilty until he can prove himself innocent. Um, How is that going to a affect how you show up, how vulnerable you are, how open to connection or communication that you're going to be. And if you're kind of closed down, or if you're kind of being a little um, judgy wudgy towards the guy, if you just assume he's going to he's a sexist, then how do you think that's going to make him feel? Because people can feel when they're being judged or when they're being or when someone's being kind of patronizing or condescending to them. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing. But I, I am saying that, you know, I think it's worth looking at how this belief actually causes you to show up on dates, or to interact with men, whether it's online or offline. And that's, I think, you know, in terms of practicality, that's like, the number one place I want you to to look at. Because 
I mean, whether or not most men are sexist, like, look, I don't have some stats in front of me, so I can't actually say whether or not that's true, but I'm going to guess that's actually not true. I think that there are definitely a lot of sexist men, and I think, unfortunately, they're the loudest bunch, and so it feels like a lot of men are, or most men are sexist, but I'm just going to guess that's not true. Um, and I think that, you know, ultimately, the confirmation bias comes into effect in dating and confirmation bias is basically we look for evidence to prove what we believe to be true. So if you believe that most men are sexist, or that being a straight woman right now somehow feels really hard, then I think you're just going to look for evidence to support that belief. And it's going to kind of keep you like in this poor me cycle. Um, A few episodes back, I did a four part series on the four dating energies that are keeping you out of love. And so I recommend listening to the poor me um, episode, I think it's episode 106, seven, something like that, maybe 108. I will put that in the show notes, though, or you can just scroll down. Um, I mean, obviously, I think all four parts of the episode are great in terms of learning about your dating energy. But to me, this really sounds like some of the poor me energy. So listen to that episode, because I think that will also give you some practical tools on shifting that energy in itself. Okay, so now that I've said that, and that's out of the way, I want to kind of switch gears here when it comes to this question is, I want to ask you which branch of the feminist movement that you're adopting to. Because when the feminist movement, and I'm not an expert in the feminist movement, but this is just what I um, have come to come been told and what I've studied and um, what I kind of believe to be true just from my own experience and my own study. So, you know, this is so this is coming from my perspective. Okay. Um, but one thing that I think how the feminist movement originally started when it really started picking up steam in the 60s and 70s is, I think it started as a movement where in order for women to gain equality, women had to act like men. And I don't think that framework is really helpful. And I think it also, in some ways, is kind of counterintuitive because it's like, it's like, yeah, um, men are like the norm, the dominant gender, the dominant sex or whatever. And so in order to gain equality, we have to act like them. It's kind of like saying, you know, in order for there to be racial equality, like the, you know, like the black rights movement has, has to be black people acting more like white people. And like, when we think of like that, like that sounds really uncomfortable. Like, no, that doesn't sound like what equality really is. And but I think that's where some of the early tenets of feminism and the feminist movement came from is just women um, believing that we had to act like men. And I think that's been really detrimental because what that means is that we've taken on a lot of, um, I think it takes on a lot of masculine energy and it creates just um, a lot of not great dynamics in a relationship. Now, before I get any further, I just want to say that masculine energy has nothing to do with how much people are paid what kind of job people decide to take, um, you know, certain rules or societal rules or norms, I should say, in relationships or dating. I think that it actually goes a lot deeper than that. And I believe that every single person on this planet, man or woman, needs a balance of feminine masculine energy. But I think the way that the feminist movement started is it started as a way to favor the more masculine energy. And I can remember growing up identifying as a feminist in this way and almost having like a not so great attitude towards what it meant to be feminine because I 
saw in my family and also I think I just learned from society that, oh, being feminine means you're being weak or it means you're being passive or it means that you're being controlled or dominated by a man. And that doesn't seem fun. I'm so screw that. I'm a feminist and I'm going to start acting like a man, which means I'm just going to hold on to all of this masculine energy and not let any of the feminine energy come to play at all. And I think that when both men and women are holding on to way too too much masculine energy, then there's no polarity in a relationship. And I think it creates a lot of competitive competitiveness. um, And it creates, um, you know, relationships need polarity in order for there to be chemistry or excitement or kind of like that, ooh, what's going on here type of attitude. And again, being feminine does not mean staying home. It does not mean just cooking. It does not mean, um, you know, not taking high power or high paying positions at, in your career. It has everything to do with just, it's, it's more internal than that. Feminine energy is more about the energy of being creative and receptive and open and expressing emotions. So yes, women need uh, feminine energy, but so do men. And we live in a very masculine deranged society where um, masculine qualities are way more um, favored and uh, valued. So things like goal setting and um, striding and accomplishing and um, do, 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 like that is all very masculine. And that's very cool. Like we all need that, right? If especially if we have career goals, um, that basically is what gets shit going. Um, But I think that when we look at um, feminine energy, it's the energy, again, like I said, the energy of creativity and receptiveness and openness and flow and emotion. And it's just not as valued as much anymore. And I think things are shifting slowly, but surely. But I think that we have to start with ourselves and um, being able to come into our, you know, our own inner creativity, our own inner um, wisdom, our own intuition, and uh, and be able to really honor our femininity from that place, because in that place, there's tons and tons and tons of power. And then when you can really own that feminine power within you, then I think you get to a point where you're, you're, um, you know, you're totally equal. I mean, yes, in society, obviously, there's still issues. But when it comes to like on a person to person level, like, you don't feel like you have to give something to the man in order to get him to like you, whether it's like a smile or looking like a certain way in your body or certain clothes or a certain behavior or whatever it is, you can do really what is for you or what feels good for you and what feels natural for you. And if the man is interested, awesome. And if not, like, whatever, right? Like, it's just not a a good fit. Um, I think there, I still think that there's a lot of men who really are attracted to powerful women. But again, like, they don't want to be dating, you know, a man with boobs, right? They want to be dating a, you know, a really feminine, I shouldn't say that, but, you know, it, it depends, because like, you know, some Everyone, like I said, everyone has a balance of feminine masculine energy. Some men are going to have, you know, most men are going to have more masculine energy than feminine, but there's going to be a scale. So there's going to be like the super macho, like bro type of guys. And there's going to be guys who have a little bit more effeminate features or characteristics. Um, And same with women, like there's going to be a scale too. And so what I think is going to be really helpful is you, you attract someone who kind of has like that opposite 
balance as, as you. And so I think that, so what I was saying is that I think that, um, a, a man does really want to attract a, a, like someone who's feminine, especially if they have a lot of masculine energy with, um, with, within them, but they don't want to attract someone a who's weak or passive because they're just going to go on to the next person. But again, like they also don't want to attract someone who's kind of acting like man, um, or acting like, um, you know, a, a woman, a man with boobs, because then there's no, there's no polarity, there's no room for that dance to happen. And there's no sense of like that attraction. I think most importantly, is ultimately both people in a relationship want to feel needed. And if there's a lot of masculine energy, both trying to hold that space or take over that space, then no one really feels needed. And so then they just leave. Um, or or you leave like it, one or one or the other. Um, okay, so anyway, so I hope this this helped you. Um, let me know if anyone has any more questions about this. I just did an episode, actually, the episode before this. So this is episode 113. Um, I did an episode 112, where I talked a little bit more about the sacred masculine, and really owning the sacred masculine in you so that your feminine energy can really have a place to organically and naturally dance, rather than trying to force it because that's kind of just like masculine energy. So make sure you listen to that episode. Again, it's episode 112. It's the episode right below this in your podcast player, if that's where you're listening, or just go to veronicagrant.com forward slash episode 112. Or click the link in the show notes, and I will have it all there. All right. Okay, those were three questions. I hope this was helpful. Um, I will probably do another Q&A. Oh, I don't know, in the next um, few months. So as always, just send me an email. If you're on my email list, you can reply to any of those emails that I send you, and I will add it to the queue. Um, Or when I make a call, I usually do it on Instagram. So make sure you follow me there at Veronica Grant so you don't miss the next time that I ask for questions to be submitted. And then um, finally, before I let you go, is make sure you check out the free checklist if you haven't already. It's called Seven Things Every Woman Needs to Find Love, What You Need to Ask Yourself to Attract in Real Love That Your Friends or Therapists Don't Know to Ask. So you can head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash checklist to download that. And again, I will put that link in the show notes and I will talk to you all next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. Find the show notes to this episode and all episodes at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. You can also grab bonus downloads and more resources to help you find love at veronicagrant.com. That's also the place you can learn more about my private love and relationship coaching and group coaching programs. And if you love this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a rating or review in iTunes. It helps me to build this amazing community and help more amazing women like yourself find real love. And until next time, remember this, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You aren't broken. You don't need to be fixed. And even if you've never had the relationship you want before, it doesn't mean you can't have it now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.